listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. On a day in which we've got more NBA playoff action coming up later on. We've also got the latest on Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones. What is the Vegas lead here on this Tuesday? You know how the kids say, flip the script? You ever hear that, Jonas? Yeah. Okay. Usually, I'm going to recap first because you want to know what happened, to know what's going to happen. I'm going to start, though, with the Lakers because I believe no story's bigger. We got LeBron undefeated in the first round in his career. And if they lose tonight and they're underdogs, it's they're going to be big underdogs to advance. So let's start with an early preview on the Lakers. Yeah, and that game tips off at 10 p.m. Eastern time tonight on TNT. Series tied at two games to p at two games apiece. No Anthony Davis, so LeBron James and company go on the road at Phoenix. And right now on pregame.com, the Suns are a four and a half point favorite. Okay, so you, we lean on you for the eye test. When you looked at the game four, AD played was less than 100%, it seemed. At least his performance wasn't great. Then there was an additional injury. He was out for the rest of the game. In general, what chance would you give the Lakers without Anthony Davis? Um, 20%. So, so we look at it as a, a mat. I mean, it's it's it goes from them being the clear favorites to being a long, long shot. Yeah, I, I just think that there's – we've seen this throughout the course of the regular season. I think they're barely above 500 when AD's not in the lineup. And, and when he plays poorly in this series or he's not available in this series, the Suns have won both those games. So I feel like he's really the difference maker between the Lakers advancing and making a deep run and not. I'm going to make the case that there's a scenario, a scenario that the Lakers are okay – And I don't necessarily think this is the likely scenario, but it's a tangible one, which is the following. We all know that the ability of any player in the NBA, if he's elite, to put a team on his back for a short period of time is much more doable than for an entire playoff run. Uh, To some degree, we saw that with Steph Curry. When KD was out, you know, over, you know, a spot game here, a spot game there, you want a guy to step up and take the lead and the, and, and the usage rate and all that, they can do it. The question is, can you do it game after game after game? So typically, LeBron in his prime prime, you think back, I think, to 2007 when he brought a, a team of, you know, not stars to the finals against the Spurs. And you would say he put them on their back. There just wasn't enough there other than him. As he's gotten older, the spurts that he's been able to do that get smaller and smaller. 
the real question is, if this was one game, if this was like a suspension, and this was LeBron even three years ago, two years ago, we'd feel pretty confident we'd see a monster game from LeBron. On the other hand, we would say that uh, over the course of a series or two, it'd be hard for him to carry the team. But hey, for one game, he could. I'm not even sure if he's able to for one game because he is less than 100%. So I do have a scenario. Maybe he's better than we think. But let me just ask you the eye test again, Jonas, is what percent or maybe not percent as much, but relative to game three, which was right before game four, how LeBron looked to game four. Did you see a relative improvement? What do you think? Where do you think LeBron is right now? No, I thought he was his best in Game 3, and, and, and he seemed to be his most confident in Game 3. I think that was the game in which he was sort of clowning Jay Crowder and, and really excitable, and um, it, it felt like he was pretty comfortable with where they were at in the series. Game 4, he looked a little bit more uncomfortable, and I don't know if it's just from the injury standpoint or just the role expanding and him having the realization of, I don't know if I can take a game over like I could a couple of years ago, and that to me is the most interesting question because I do think in his prime we've seen him before in LeBron James's prime he had the ability to take over playoff games we saw it in Boston years ago when he was awesome as a member of the Miami Heat we've seen it with the Cleveland Cavaliers game one against the Golden State Warriors this is the first time that I can recall in a big moment with the Lakers where he's going to be asked to do the same thing and I just don't know that he's capable of doing it at this point in his career well the the odds in this game say that he's not fair to do it. I mean, yeah. right now the Suns are four and a half point favorites. So if we assume two points for home court right now, which is probably a fair assessment, that means the Suns are two and a half points the better team. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. It strikes me that Game Two was a good analogy to Game Five, whereas Game Five is a high leverage want to win the game big time, meaning not how much you win by, but you really want to win the game. Yeah, Listen, you want to win every playoff game, but when it's 2-2 and whoever wins this game has 3-2 lead, it's a high leverage spot. Game two for the Lakers specifically was a high leverage spot. If they would have went down 0-2, that would have been problematic. In game two, if I recall now, the closing line was in the range of the Lakers favored by one and a half or two. What do we have in the in the log? Lakers by two, that's right. Okay. So if I recall, Chris Paul, there was no injury situation with you know, Chris Paul didn't get hurt in game one, did he? Or, or when did he get no, hurt? First half of game two. Okay. So entering game two, well, there was go ahead. No, he got hurt in game one. Was, was that right? Yeah, yeah, he got hurt in game one, early on in game one, and he was able okay. to finish that game, and then it was uh, game two where he was clearly hampered by yeah, it. Yeah, I remember that, because yeah. what, what happened was, uh, remember, now that I think about it, the line was in that one and a half or two range, and then I was thinking, oh, wow, that's a huge adjustment, because remember, yeah. Phoenix was three in the first game, and then we thought, well, some of that's about Chris Paul. So let's, let's talk about Chris Paul real quick. Uh, it strikes me that the jump he made physically – was beyond what was expected, and not that he was 100%, but he was um, you know, much improved in Game 4. He seemed good to me. Yeah, pr- pretty uh, I, much I did, good. Yeah, I didn't see any sort of limitations um, based on, on what we – he just – he seemed – 
like he was Chris Paul, which I don't know, you know, what they did to get him ready for that game or, or not trying to make what, any What are you act. implying, John? I mean, I'm just, you know, it seemed like it was a pretty miraculous uh, turnaround for Chris Paul. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, it, oh, but here's the question, though. <laughs> if, if a guy between, and let's, let's, you know, let's talk straight here. If a guy between seasons puts on a lot of muscle or if he looks a lot younger and there's rumors of trips to Germany and blood platelets, <laughs> that's one thing. But what could you do? Like, what is illegal even or against the rules of the NBA that, that you could do in between a game? I don't I'm not sure of the NBA's rules. I mean, and I don't know if it, and, and I, I say that sort of kidding. I don't even know if this is an injury that would be benefited by taking, you know, a shot or a toward all that we've heard NFL which, players which isn't, take which isn't ill- which no. isn't against the rules, right? No, yeah, you can you can do it. It numbs it. You don't feel it for a while and then you just deal with it after the game. Um, but he he looked good and it could be just he improved because it was, you know, a, a bruise and 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 that stuff sort of, you know, helps and they also had an extra day and I I was waiting to see what that was going to look like for Chris Paul because they had an extra day of rest between games three and games four and I think that helped him out also a lot the fact that he was able uh, to, to come out in game four and play as effective as he did and if I'm not mistaken if it does end up so game five tonight and then what's the schedule in game six and seven? Because if I'm not mistaken, one of these has a real extended break. So game six is on Thursday, okay. and then game seven would be on Saturday. So there is no break Okay, so this, this one is literally a day, a day, a day. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Which doesn't lend itself to be advantageous for Anthony Davis. No, Obviously, more time would be better. Yeah. So at the time, we estimated that the now that I recall, the Chris Paul injury – was being accounted for about a point and a half because there was real uncertainty if he was going to be affected at all. So we figured the game would be about Pickham in Phoenix in a must in a high win spot or high uh, motivation spot for the Lakers. Right now the line is between four and a half and five. So that's saying Chris Paul or check that Anthony Davis is worth between four and a half and five points, which I think is about right. The best players in NBA history are worth have been worth about six. And per game, and the idea of Anthony Davis being worth four and a half feels just right to me. Uh, Mackenzie, would you agree with that? That's right. We're going to have it, four and a half. Okay. So now the question becomes this. Can LeBron do it for a game? And because let's be candid, if, if the Lakers won tonight, though they'd still have to win another game, all of a sudden there'd be a sense of a crisis averted and the momentum would certainly just the pure math, right? They'd have to win one yeah. or two instead of two or two big game. I mean, these games five often decide series effectively. The thing that makes me think maybe LeBron can do it is the fact that up until game four. So up until the most recent game, LeBron was shooting outside and was not getting to the rim. And he was shooting outside fairly effectively, you know, hit or miss or whatever, but okay. And he wasn't getting to the rim. Now, what did that mean? That meant against other NBA athletes, against the best wing defender, he wasn't able to get past them. And thus, you're either shooting jump shots or you're getting to the rim. That's your choices. And if you can't get to the rim, you're shooting jump shots. He got to the rim in a very effective way or much more effective way LeBron did in game four. He just missed his outside shots. 
there's no correlation between those. It's not like you're getting to the – if anything, if you're not getting to the rim, it's harder to shoot outside because the defender is going to have to be – or is inclined to be more up on you because he's not scared of you getting by him. So the ability to get to the rim helps your outside shooting. But by the short sa- – you know, the reality of short sample size – in game four, LeBron was able to get to the rim and actually scored fairly effectively when he did, but he just didn't hit the outside shots. My thought would be, and Jonas, it sounds like you didn't see it this way, but let me pose the question even more specifically. My thought would be the fact that LeBron was able to get to the rim, making it or not, uh, with the outside shots otherwise, doesn't change that fact, and thus for him to take over a game, getting to the rim is going to be part of it. If he only had hit his outside shots in game four, he would have had a monster. And thus, he has a chance in game five to have a real monster game because of his ability to get to the rim, which you would think if it's his ankle was the issue, it gets better and better as time goes on. So does that sound right? Or you just look at me and say, whatever the stats say, he didn't feel like he was getting to the rim. No, I mean, I think that going he their only chance at winning is him having the basketball and him either getting to the rim, hitting his shots when he takes them, or he's got to depend on those other guys around him to to make shots. And I and I think Phoenix's approach is going to be we're going to stop him, we're going to do whatever we can to stop LeBron James, and we're gonna we're gonna see if these other guys who haven't been able to do it on a consistent basis are going to be able to make plays. I I think LeBron's going to have the ball majority of the time for the Lakers tonight. I think he's going to play a lot of minutes because he has to. I have no I think he'll be able to get to the rim. Whether he can hit his shots, who knows? Whether he can hit his free throws, he hasn't been real good at all that. But I think this is going to come down to the guys around him making shots. So so you would agree then that his physical limitations that was keeping him from the rim before it felt like in game four, those were not as much of an effect, and thus his ability to get the rim did improve. Yeah, he seems like he's he's getting a little bit better. I I just don't know that he's got enough time and enough help to, to get better enough, uh, fast enough for them to be able to survive this series. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker, for 22 minutes of piping hot baseball talk featuring the biggest names and newsmakers in the sport. Whether you believe in analytics or the eye test, we've got all the bases covered. New episodes drop every Thursday, so do yourself a favor and listen to Inside the Parker with Rob Parker on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Let's recap that Sixers because it was 3-0, and, and I do think there's some telling stuff in there, and now it looks like Embiid's going to be out. Yeah, Joel Embiid, uh, after Philly lo- loses 122-114 to the Washington Wizards, uh, a report from ESPN says that he is doubtful for Game 5 and that he is going to be evaluated after Wednesday's game. So Philly up three games to one in the series, but Joel Embiid out for Game 5, it looks like. So, McKenzie, what do we see as the current line in game five it looked like it opened up at six and a half what are we seeing right now still at six and a half okay so that assumed then that in this game is at philly and it was six and a half so let's think about this the last game that would have been in philly was game two what was the line in that game sixers were eight and a half point favorites in that game which is the same line they were game four on the road 
Okay, so what we're saying, and remember though, this is a, a, a common phenomenon. Game three is must win for the team down 0-2. If they lose that game, the line will move a couple of points against the team down 0-3 because the sense is they history says they give up. It's like they the fact that Washington played hard and won a game when they were down 0-2 or 0-3 is really pretty rare. You got to wonder how much that was about Embiid being out and it kind of inspiring Washington that they have a chance to win. It is interesting though that by in game two, Lyon was in Philly only eight and a half. Now without Embiid, it's six and a half. I got to be honest, I like Washington a good bit there. I don't understand that line at all. Um, I mean, if anything, Washington feels like who knows how long Embiid's going to be out. And they only got to win three games in a row? I mean, it's not likely, but if we know anything about Westbrook, he doesn't seem to back down from challenges. In fact, let's make this a bonus <laughs> impromptu best bet. I mean, this is just too good. I'm going to take Washington plus six and a half. And part of this had to do with, I mean, Simmons not stepping up. And now you got Harris, who, let's be honest, Tobias Harris is pretty good as the third, you know, second, third option. If he's the guy the defense is focused on, and then you get the hack of Ben Simmons strategy going on, in which he's missing free. He's like five for 20 on free throws. Give me the Wizards plus six and a half, best bet. And we're going to transition into a best bet that's around Julio Jones. So if you don't mind, Jonas, give us a little Julio setup, and I'm going to segue in. Yeah, Julio Jones still an Atlanta Falcon for the time being, but there are different odds that have been shifting and going back and forth over the past several days. And some have said lately that the Seattle Seahawks, upon Julio Jones and Russell Wilson's interest in wanting to play with each other, that Seattle has inquired about the Atlanta Falcons, soon to be Hall of Fame wide receiver. Yeah, so this has surged. And Mackenzie, pull up the NFC East odds where my bet's going to be. So as of Friday, the Seattle Seahawks weren't even amongst the favorites to land Julio Jones. Now, if you look at the updated odds, Jones' next team, the favor, the Seattle Seahawks plus 150, Tennessee plus 200, Patriots 3-1 to one now. Patriots used to be about even money. So Patriots are dropping. To me, there's oftentimes derivative markets, markets that are associated with another market that don't catch up when there's odds moves like this. Imagine Julio Jones on Seattle. Imagine the strength of those wide receivers. What is the current Seattle to win the West uh, odds right now, McKenzie? Plus 275 on the Seahawks. Plus 275. And who's the favorite? Like, who's the favorite? Rams are plus 185. In between them is the Niners, 2-1. to one. Okay. So we got the third favorite. We're going to make it a best bet Seattle to win the NFC West, plus 275. Best bet. 